welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning, everyone. We're glad you joined us this morning. In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe Pioneer 10. According to Leon Jareff in Time, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and beam data to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, the radiation belts, and atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan. For at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars, and they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it could reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planets in November 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed towards the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, that's billion with a B, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At some two billion miles, it hurled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly three billion miles. Pluto at almost four billion miles. By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than six billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps most remarkable, writes Jeroff, was those signals emanate from an 8-watt transmitter, which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and takes more than nine hours to reach Earth. The little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of just three years, but it kept going and going and going. Its tiny 8-watt transmitter accomplished more than anyone thought possible. We're probably all familiar with a 60-watt light bulb, and this was only 8 watts, very small, like a little tiny nightlight in a bedroom. Persistence. You don't have to be the biggest or the strongest or the fastest or the smartest or whatever. You just have to be willing to be used by God. The little 8-watt transmitter accomplished great things, and so can we. We've all heard stories of persistence. Young people who wanted to grow up to be athletes or singers, and they often tell stories of persistence and overcoming great obstacles. Abraham Lincoln, he lost a lot of elections before coming president. He was persistent. Maybe even some of us watching this today have stories of being persistent and accomplishing something. Maybe that is getting a degree or becoming a doctor or a nurse or a veterinarian. It takes a lot of effort and study and time. Or maybe working our way up to a desired position in our company. Or maybe some of us had to be very persistent to win the heart of that someone special, like they were playing hard to get or something. The Bible also has stories of people who were persistent. We just talked about Hannah a few weeks ago and how she prayed for years 
for a baby. Noah was persistent in building the ark. Abraham is persistent in following God. So many of the prophets and disciples show great persistency. But one of my favorite stories of persistence is the wise men. Their epic journey just amazes me every time I think about it. You may not have thought of the wise men as persistent, but I want you to consider that thought as we move through this message. So what can we learn from their story and their persistence? I mean, it's recorded in the Bible for more than just a history lesson. So number one, the persistent understand the importance of Jesus. The persistent understand the importance of Jesus. See, the Magi knew that Jesus was the king of the Jews, written about in prophecy. They weren't on some fool's errand. They knew this was important. The Bible tells us, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, according to the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the wise men. Through the years, there's been lots of study and debate about who they were and where they came from and all this. But we don't even know if there was three of them or not. Early tradition suggests the number was 14. We aren't really sure where they're from. The most widely held belief is they're from Persia, maybe Babylon. We do know that they were not there on the night of Jesus' birth, like the scene behind me depicts. They probably showed up close to a year later, which is why Herod kills all the children two and under. He adds a year for safety, just in case. Remember, the trip to Babylon to Jerusalem is a long ways um, it's about 718 miles and the way they probably would have had to travel. You know, you couldn't do straight line because of the mountains and terrain. But that would take them a long time. If you could walk eight hours a day nonstop, that would take 30 days. And there's no way they maintained that pace at night, following a star through the desert. So the trip probably took several months, plus the time to pack up the whole thing and get set up, plus the time it took to see the star, research it, figure out what it was, get their king to okay the trip and probably fund it. And that's amazing too. How did they get their king to fund a trip to take gifts to a new king? <laughs> I bet the Persians were watching the Romans and they knew the Romans were on the move and taking over the Mediterranean. And they would have been happy to see some Messiah rise up and send those Roman boys packing back to Rome. And I imagine that some of the wise men's friends, when they learned of their plan to follow a star and find the Messiah, they told them they were crazy. They probably even tried to talk them out of it. You don't even know where you're going. What faith they had. Reminds me a little bit of Abraham. When God tells him to move, and Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. The wise men didn't know where their journey would end. They just know it's time to get going. Did you ever wonder how these people, the wise men, so far away knew about the Messiah? These men were probably not Jewish. So how did they know? Well, historians tell us that there was a hunger and excitement in that day for the Messiah. And that it was commonly held that this coming king or kings 
would originate in the Holy Land of Israel. And this probably comes from Daniel and people like him. Now, to understand how all this happens will take several lessons in Jewish, Babylonian, and Persian history. So here's the short version. The Babylonians overrun Israel in 605 B.C., and many of its nation's best and brightest were taken back to serve in Babylon, Daniel and his friends included. And Daniel, as we know, becomes the chief of the Magi, the chief wise guy. He serves Babylon and Persia for 70 plus years. And during Daniel's lifetime, Persia begins to take over parts of the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian and Persian cultures were very similar, with similar court structures and customs. They had a king counseled by a priestly caste of wise men. And several times through the years, Israel would rebel, and the Babylonians come in and round them up, and this results in pockets of Jews all over the Babylonian and Persian empires. It is very likely that some of these people brought their scrolls with them. The wise men continue to study these writings for many years. And it's quite possible that they even had access to the writings of Daniel. Remember, he was the chief magi in his day. And so they would have known a couple of things. Genesis 3.15 tells us that he was born of a woman. They were looking for a baby. Isaiah, the last half of Isaiah from 40 to 66 tells us that he was a suffering servant, not from royalty. Numbers 24, 17 tells us there's a star rising out of Israel. Second Chronicles 6, 16 says he comes as a king. Daniel 7, 13 says he comes as God and man. And Isaiah 53, 5 through 10 tells us that he comes to die. Now, Given what they knew about Jesus, let's look at their gifts. First gift was gold. And that's a gold for a king. That's a gift besitting a king. The second gift was um, incense, which is a gift that you give the gods. It's a gift for divinity. And the last gift of myrrh was a, a burial gift. It's a gift that you give when somebody dies. And these gifts show amazing insight to what the wise men do. See, God spoke to them in their language, the language of ancient writings where wisdom is stored. And he revealed to them that the great one was being born. I imagine a night scene where they're sitting on a roof looking at the stars. And one of them says, hey, I haven't seen that one before. And they get excited. A new star. I mean, it has to be new. Who could have missed a star that bright in the sky? And they begin searching for the meaning of this wondrous event. Searching of the scrolls where wisdom is stored. And God wanted them to be involved in this great event. They were captivated and challenged by the appearance of a supernatural heavenly star that shone with splendor and majesty. They determined to seek this coming one. They were not seeking him to benefit themselves financially or to earn fame. They wanted to worship him and adore him as the king of the world and the universe. I have a question. Are you seeking Jesus for the right reason? Or do you seek him for your own benefit? We miss the meaning of Christmas if we seek him wrongly. 
Like Herod, who really did not desire to worship him, but wanted to murder him. We condemn ourselves if we follow him for the wrong reasons. The second thing we could learn is the persistent search for Jesus, right? The persistent search for Jesus. The Magi traveled long distances and actively followed God's signs towards baby Jesus. You don't just wait for important things to drop into your lap. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They came asking, Where is he? When in your life have you asked that question? Where is Jesus? Where is the God of heaven? Most people only ask that question at time of death or tragedy looking for a savior in the midst of their sorrow and pain. We see that in COVID uh, pandemic of today. People are searching for God in the midst of this craziness. Some people ask that question in anger. Where is the God of love and comfort? Some asking guilt and shame from a self-willed life that had no time for religious things. Where is he? The God who determined all of history. We ban him from our schools and our workplaces. We have no time for him at home. And then when war or hardship come, we want his safety and security. We want his blessing and supply. And some people ask the question from an internal yearning to know and understand what is this life all about? They see the stars in the heavens as part of the magnificent and unexplainably beautiful universe. They hear preacher after preacher proclaiming the word of God. They see the sinfulness of men. They understand both the ups and downs of life as they have experienced them. And the result of all this and more, these people have a genuine yearning to know, where is he, this one called Jesus, the Savior of the world? And don't think that the wise men found Jesus in an instant. As we talked about earlier, most scholars believe that the journey of the wise men took months. It was not an easy journey. Travel conditions were at times very difficult due to weather and the terrain, the threat of robbery. Only the star they saw was their only assurance to carry them on in a very difficult and dangerous search. And perhaps for some of you here today, you may feel a kinship to those wise men, and that you too have been on a search to know, to see this Jesus, the Savior of the world. You attend church, you try to read the Bible and pray, but He, the Christ, is not to be found. And you may feel no closer to finding Him than when you first started your search years ago. There's no star that you can follow other than this nagging feeling you can't get rid of, that there just has to be something more to life, if I could just find it. To you who are searching and asking, where is this Jesus? Look again at the determination and the perseverance of these wise men. Many people, including Christians, tire or become frustrated with the search and say to themselves, it's enough that I go to church, I've been baptized, I take communion, I do good deeds. But Jesus remains hidden from them. 
It would be like the wise men saying, it's enough that we saw his star. It's enough that we made it to Jerusalem. The search has been long and hard. We gave it our best shot. We believe he's still out there somewhere, but we got to go home now. Instead, they were wise enough and persistent enough and followed the inner urging God had given them in their hearts. So boldly they went to Herod the king and asked, where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. And Herod, after conferring with the Jewish high priest, found the answer that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And he told the wise men to go there and find him, and then to return to Herod and tell him so he too could worship the newborn king. And scripture says that when the wise men headed for Bethlehem, that the star they had seen now went again before them until it rested over the place where the child was. Seek and you shall find, Jesus was to teach later. And so these wise men are an example to all of us, not to end our search for Jesus Christ until we have found him. Do not be content with just going to church and seeing your friends, or do not give in to compromise. But at least you joined a church and you had communion. Do not convince yourself that it's enough to love and live a good life. The goal is not church membership or good living. The goal is Jesus Christ, to know him personally, to love him unconditionally. But most of all, as these wise men teach us, to worship him. We saw his star and have come to worship him. Number three, the persistent worship before Jesus. The persistent worship before Jesus. The Magi must have been scholars of some importance to have traveled so far successfully and to have brought such elaborate gifts. Yet at the sight of Jesus, they bowed their heads and humbled themselves before the baby. Sometimes we can think we did that ourselves. Look at what I or what we accomplished. And we get all caught up in what we did. Matthew 2.11 tells us, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. This is not a circus sideshow where you buy a ticket and enter the tent and stand at gawk at some highly unusual site and then leave. And this is no place for us to be entertained as some people expect church services to be with wonderful music and great preaching where I can come, sit, watch, feel good, and then leave. We have come to worship him, not to see him like you see a celebrity, not to have him make me feel good, but to fall down on our knees and to worship Jesus Christ as the Lord and the King. It is not me that is to be satisfied. It is not me that matters. It is He, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who shall reign forever and ever. He is the Lamb of God, and He is the one that takes away the sins of the world. See, fact, worship always involves sacrifice. And there was a price to be paid for the wise men's worship. They had given themselves to a journey, 
Travel in those days was not very comfortable. In fact, it could be downright dangerous. And the wise men sacrificed their own comfort to come and find the king and worship him. One of my favorite stories about David is when he wants to sacrifice and he offers to buy a farmer's field and and some cows. And the farmer says, hey, I will give it to you. And David says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Romans says it this way. I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Romans 12.1 To truly worship requires sacrifice. The greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice that you can give to God is yourself. You say, but I have given nothing to him today. And I say, yes, you have. Even today, you have given him of yourself. By being here online watching, you have given him your time. You prepared this morning by getting up and getting dressed, ready to see the king. Some of you helped pay kingdom expenses of maintaining the church building, the heat, the water, the electricity. That all has to be paid for. When you're giving your offering to the church, you're supporting God's program, which includes purchasing Sabbath school materials, supporting our small groups, paying staff salaries, on and on and on the list goes. And when you sat down to view this service this morning, you came as a living sacrifice, even though you may not have viewed it as that even though you might not have realized it. The efforts you make to worship God is your sacrifice to Him. But here's another fact I want you to remember. What God wants most of all, above everything else, is me. We often say Jesus is the reason for the season, and I understand the idea behind it, but it's not correct. Jesus is not the reason for the season. You are. I am. He came for you and me. He wants your heart. He wants your attention. And the question to ask is, am I willing to give it to him? Am I willing to give him my best? Am I willing to go on a spiritual journey to worship him? Am I willing to give up my comfort zone to follow Christ? The wise men were. Are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of the wise men. We can learn about persistence, Lord. And it helps teach us how we need to be persistent in following you, seeking so that we can find, Lord. Help us not to grow weary. Help us not to give up. Help us not to get to Jerusalem and quit, Lord, when we're so close. Give us the courage and the strength this week to continue seeking you, Lord, with all of our hearts and to turn our complete lives over to you. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a good week. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.com 
God bless.